Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, The Lake Waco Murders, Part 1. Hey, Chris. Hola, Brandy. I feel like we haven't talked over a microphone in a while. But we sure have talked. <laughs> Other than a microphone. We're still chatty Cathy's over here. Uh, Chris, been talking my ear off since I walked in the door. <laughs> Babe, we've got some new Patreon members to welcome. Let us welcome them. Thank you very much. Let's do it. Jane Skelton. Thank you very much, Jane. Cassie Casillas. Thank you, Cassie. Jody Gillespie-Rusk. Thank you very much, Jody. Stephanie Sepulveda. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, ladies. Welcome to our Patreon crew. Your support means the world to us. Yes, welcome. Thank you very much for joining. And if you want to support the show, you can join all of our friends over on Patreon. Bonus episodes, stickers, fun stuff, wine glasses, all wine kinds glasses, of stuff. Wine glasses, all kinds yeah. of fun stuff. We're coming out with new stickers. We are. Yeah, we are. And t-shirts mm -hmm. very soon. Uh, okay, we have a live show coming up July 30th at Farina's Winery in Grapevine. Yeah, very excited for that. Yes, that's going to be a really cool event. It will be our first live show at a winery in DFW, babe. Absolutely. And D Dallas is our number one listenership. They are. So it's kind of a kind of cool to it's actually be here where some people that listen to listen us, to us <laughs> can actually come. Yes, because we get all these places that we turn people on to, of course, our product. Yes. However, that was the first time. And hopefully it'll be a long time. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's our it's our very first one here in the DFW, and there's only a few tickets left. I hope I've to heard... wrangle some people from work, actually. Oh, so. Well, I've heard there's only like five tickets left. Only five. Well, I better send five um... to seven or something along those lines. It's gonna it's gonna probably sell out by the end of this week. I better send Jeremiah a little text tonight with the uh, yeah, because it's with um, the, with I the got screenshot because I told him about it. So him and his wife make up. Cool. Well, I got notification that it is almost sold out. So we are excited about that. Today, we are sipping on an Albarino from our friends at Edge of the Lake Vineyard. Um, Chris, we will talk more about Edge of the Lake and what you paired with this refreshing white wine we're oh, you drinking. You had EOL here. I thought you were going to get all like acronymy on me with, you know, because that's, <laughs> that's the new thing, the new trend. And the, yes. it's, what the, it's what the kids are doing these days. Yes. You know, when you, when and you we just, got you just to go can't out. say the whole, whole thing. You just have to say EOL. That's right. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not going to party at <laughs> We're going to party at EOL. We did party a little bit there. We did. And they had a fantastic uh, oh grounds for a party with their uh, swimming pool and all that cool stuff. Oh, beautiful. It's so cool. Yeah. Beautiful view of the lake. And um, it truly is at the edge of the lake. And it is just, yeah, fantastic, fantastic people and fantastic time out there. Yeah. We're going to be back very soon. Yeah. I've told, new, I've told numerous people too about it just because it's so close. And it is the, Valley the, View, Texas. The convenience, um, you know, not quite an Uber ride. No. Nope. Just, uh, you know, hit it kind of light mm -hmm. and uh, you'll be cool. Head home. Yep. Yeah. All right, babe. Are you ready to discuss the Lake Waco murders part one? Yes, I am. Okay, friends. Let's sip some wine and talk some crime. So as always, we want to give you a few facts about where our crime takes place. So let's talk a little bit about Waco. Number one, Waco was known as the Athens on the Brazos during the 1880s because it was fast becoming the hub of education in the Lone Star State. 
1881, Paul Quinn College moved to Waco from Austin. In 1882, a city tax was levied to fund the Waco public schools. And in 1886, Waco University and Baylor University consolidated locations in Waco. The Athens on the Brazos. So we have people like Socrates there and stuff yes. like that, philosophizing yes. and all that good stuff. Man, lots of stuff. I found Sorry. a lot of stuff about it's Waco. A Bill and Ted's excellent adventure reference right there for all you. <laughs> All you, men, all you men that listen to us. So. <laughs> Number two, Snickers bars have been produced at the Mars Wrigley Confectionery Plant in Waco since 1976, as well as Skittles and Starburst. Really? Snickers? Snickers. Thicker than a Snicker. There was like the biggest wow. Snicker ever produced was in Waco. Pretty cool stuff. Very Did cool. you know that? I never knew that. No. Never knew that. Number three, in 1879, Waco became the first town in Texas and the second in the U.S. after Omaha, Nebraska, to legalize prostitution. So they called it the re- they yeah. called it the reservation. This is what they called it, and it was a district that extended from Washington Avenue to Jefferson Avenue, and then from the Brazos River to Second Street. So it closed in 1917 during World World War One when the U.S. Army made the outlawing of prostitution a condition for locating Camp MacArthur in Waco. Hmm. Legalized prostitution, and now you can't even get an abortion. So, you know, hey. Yeah, well. Um, why do you not have the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame as a fun fact of there's so many? I'm listen. We have like a ton of Waco not cases the Texas Ranger, the baseball team. You know what I'm going to do? Ranger. Yes. Well, you just gave one away. I what I plan to do is for part two, possibly a part three, depending on what we get through tonight. We only do three facts on the on the city. Right? We can't. <laughs> no, but I'm going to do. Th- I can do three more on yeah. the next episode. Okay. There is quite a few fun, but yes, that's pretty cool. I've been there. I went there as a kid and as an adult so kind of cool since we know a texas ranger now and all yes we do on july 12th 1982 raylene rice jill montgomery and kenneth franks were spending the evening in cone park like most teenagers did living in the waco area in 1982 the next morning two fishermen found the teenagers dead from apparent homicide at spiegelville park what happened to raylene jill and kenneth okay chris this case has haunted the people of Waco since this happened in 1982. Now, there's a reason. Because if you ask people, did they get this right when the, with the perpetrators in this case, some would say yes, but others feel like they convicted the wrong men just to get this case solved. That never happens. Never. This case reminds me a lot of the yogurt shop murders. So we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a two-parter, possibly a three-parter, depending on how much we get through tonight. But I want to start by setting the scene at Lake Waco that night. So Raylene and Jill were close friends, but they were not from Waco. They both went to school and lived in Waxahachie at the time in 1982. The girls had driven to Waco so Jill Montgomery could collect her last paycheck from her job at the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum. Shout out. Where she had been a tour guide last that spring. So she was she was a tour guide in the spring of 1982 and the girls were going to Waco to pick up her last paycheck. The girls cashed it, um, they, they cashed it at a supermarket. So they did cash it. There is record of that. Then they drove to Kenneth's house. So Jill knew Kenneth from a place called the Methodist Home. 
And the Methodist home was in Waco. So this, Chris, is like a boarding school for troubled kids, academically challenged kids. Um, The two had lived there for a while, and they dated for a little while, but now they were just friends. So they knew each other, dated while they were at the school together, and then just stayed friends. So Kenneth tells his dad that they are going to Cohen Park. Um, Now, this is directly across the lake from Spiegelville Park. And it was a spot where teenagers often, you know, congregated to drink, smoke, hang out with their friends. So this is a little bit of a crowded area. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he tells his dad, the two girls meet up with him. He tells his dad where they're going. And so they're off. Um, I did post a picture on our socials of a map where the bodies were found at Spiegelville Park and also Cohen Park. So you can kind of get an idea of where they started their evening and then where they are eventually found deceased. So witnesses do confirm that they saw all three teenagers at Cohen Park that night. They remember Raylene's orange Ford Pinto being at the location. But Chris, that is where the events of what happened to them that's where it ends. Okay, there is there is no um till this day though, honey, they have no idea when the teenagers left Cohen Park, where they went, who they met, and how they got to Spiegelville Park because they found Raylene's car still parked at Cohen Park. I would guess probably. So how did they get across the lake? You said a lot of kids hung out there, so it could have been possible that just people were partying, hopping in cars and Going to and fro. Okay. And fro and to. Yes. Um, there was no sign of a boat anywhere. Um, nobody, how big is this lake? I mean, like, I mean, how many miles would it be to drive to the opposite side? So I think it, I looked it up. I think it was a 10-minute drive. So, I mean, it's quite possible. It's very like, close. I could have hopped in a car with somebody. I mean, kids, that's, well, that's what you did. Well, that's what I think. Um, because I, we're, we'll talk about this in a second, but this is a teenage girl leaving her car behind. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of a big deal when you're that age. I feel like especially in 1982 and women are not. I I think I don't know. I don't know if women are are more likely to leave their cars and not take them. And men. I know how you are about driving ourselves to places, right, that you can go and you're ready to go and you don't have to rely on anyone else to leave when you're ready to leave. So we know it makes sense that a woman would leave her car there. Right. So we know that the car is found. But again, no one ever came forward and said that they actually saw them getting in a car. They, nobody heard any screaming. Nobody saw any scuffles going on. Um, police never believed a boat took them. Like I mentioned, there, there was really no, no witnesses to that, um, to corroborating that a boat picked these teenagers up. So like you said, the logical explanation is they got into a car with someone and were driven to the other side of the lake. Now, we t- we just talked about this, right? Being a teenager, why would she be willing to leave her car behind to go across the lake? Well, they were expecting to return. Okay, that's the most logical thing is she was comfortable enough if they were not abducted. Now, they could have been adu- abducted on some in some sort of way by multiple people. And nobody just was paying attention or but but nobody screamed, like I said. So there was nothing out of place 
with all of the witnesses um, that they actually um, that they actually spoke with. So I do believe they went willingly with a person or persons. Seems like the most logical explanation. I agree. So let's talk about how the bodies were found. The body of the fishermen found. So the two guys are looking for a place to fish. So they're walking around um, near Spiegelville Park, Spiegelville Park, and that is when they found Kenneth Franks. Now, Chris, he had been propped up against a tree, his hands tied behind his back, a gag in his mouth, multiple stab wounds to the chest, and his aviator sunglasses had been put back on him. It's kind of creepy. So they propped him up on a tree and basically had him out for display. Very creepy. Um, now, Kenneth Franks, he had been reported missing when he did not come home that night. So the Waco PD already had a picture of him. They compare the picture to the body, um, and they realize they have found the missing teenager. Mm -hmm. But when Kenneth's family reported him missing, they told the police that he had gone out with two females that night. So at this point, they decide they need to look around the area. They know when he was reported missing, he was reported with two females. And it doesn't take long. 75 feet away from Kenneth's body was the body of a young blonde woman. She had been stabbed repeatedly and was naked except for a bra that was tied around her right leg. She was gagged, her hands bound behind her back. Her autopsy would later show that she had been sexually assaulted. And just a few feet away from her, they find a dark-haired female. She had been stabbed multiple times, was naked, gagged, and bound. Her throat had been slashed, and she still had a Waxahachie High School class ring on. They had then found Raylene and Jill. The teens had been bound with shoelaces and strips of towel and stabbed a total of 48 times. Um, many of the wounds, so this, so many of the wounds they said were shallow, which they believe they were tortured throughout some of this process, um, before they were actually, before they were actually killed. But Chris, there was little to no evidence found at the scene. A couple of Bud Light cans were found near Raylene's body, but no fingerprints were actually found on the cans. Police said the grass around the girls was um, almost like as though there was it was flat that they had put up some sort of struggle with the person or persons. There was no knife found, very little blood found at the scene. Yeah, and, that's what I think is strange, especially with all the stab wounds. I mean, you would yes, uh, slashing of the necks. Both girls yeah. had their necks slashed. Just because I think too, there's just so many wounds to. To bleed from, like you said, neck. That's lots of big arteries around there. And so yep. uh, that's what's so peculiar. And even though in the autopsies it was determined both women had been sexually assaulted, there was no semen found on them or near them or anywhere on the body. So maybe they didn't, maybe they used an object. Which is possible, right? You have three teenagers, right? 48 stab wounds. Even if they didn't find, I mean, they would find some sort of a, it's 1982, mm -hmm. so hair. They did find hair. Other people's hair. 
They did yeah. on the bodies. There, that was one of the only pieces of DNA that they found was hair. Um, it, this now, I don't know about you, Chris, but I feel like forty-eight stab wounds, two slash necks, would produce more blood than was found at the scene. Well, they basically would just bleed out. Like well, everything you would have in you. I think, I think they point. were killed somewhere else. Yeah, that's that's another one of the police officers that first came on the scene and saw this. Given the uh, yeah, given the crime scene, yes, I would say that would be a safe assessment. Now, could you wash the body? Now, think about this: no semen found. Couldn't no. you simply just wash them and not? You got to wash inside them. Also, in nineteen eighty-two, not a lot of condoms probably used in nineteen eighty-two either. I don't think. Condoms, when did condoms come out? Do you in know? In the 30s or 40s. I'm oh just my gosh, saying really? it's 1982. Were people using early. condoms in 1982? Well, I mean, not like they should. You had the big AIDS epidemic. That wasn't 1982. That was when I was in high school. So what? That was the late 80s. Late 80s, but still the 80s. I mean. Not 1982. I don't know. I find that, the, I mean. It could have been an object. You're right. It could have been an object. I just, I just found that that this evidence. I mean, police were shocked that they could not find as much as they could that they needed to at the scene. Because also, too, this sounds like um, there's more than one person involved in this. How does one person overtake this many people? No doubt about it. Yeah. Without and, somebody like getting away, you know. Right. How are you gonna? It's one thing to control one person, much less two, and then three. So right. Um, in fact, Patrol Sergeant Truman Simmons, who was one of the first to arrive on the scene, would later say that with the such of lack of clues, he was certain that the teens were killed somewhere else and then brought to this location. Um, so my theory is not a new theory. This um, He felt that this crime had taken place outside of Spiegelville Park, where they were found. Honey, it's already time for a wine recess. Already? That was quick. Yeah. So we are drinking this delicious Albarino from our friends at Edge of the Lake Vineyard. And the reason we chose this wine is because you were making some amazing salads because, you know, it's salads hotter than hell here. No, you made some salmon. That's not why we chose the wine. (laughs) No, we didn't. We chose it for salmon. We chose it for salmon. Salad. No salads. (laughs) Okay. So tell everybody what you made. What you cooked. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm so ready. So I made kind of, I made a salmon dish that was marinated in kind of a mango-y, um, not really spicy, but kind of some pepper. It was kind of a little Asian take on some salmon. So a couple of little fillets there. Um, did make kind of a little sesame um, cucumber salad, once again, Asian influence. Uh, I did cheat and buy a pre-made mix of Napa and carrots and kind of a slaw also. Um, No recipe really there, but I did just kind of, you know, whip a little something up. I always add a little something extra. Yes, you do. And then just a crab cake for shits and giggles. (laughs) Because it was so good. And you know, know your wife loves crab cakes. It was good. It was, you know, (laughs) and kind of looking at this wine, we we saw that... uh, the Albarino variety kind of goes with some fattier, fattier mm-hmm. fishes. And so um, what's the fat one of the fattiest fishes we have? It could be a nice salmon. That's right. So with the skin on, you know, nice and seared and it was good. I really liked it. I enjoyed it. It was very good. And this wine is very good. Even though good. it's too damn hot here to cook, but it um, is, you know, it's so hot. 
got to keep the masses happy, right? <laughs> Which is why we we chugged the white wine <laughs> in the summer. That's why it's not a red today. Peoples. Not a red. All right, babe. Well, it was delicious. And um, we will put all the information on our recipe page. Yeah, um, we've got the, a few to add. Except for the salad I cheated on. So. Yes. We've got a few to add, so we'll, we'll get those added for our, our Patreon folks. But You're winking when you... Well, you're winking. Oh, am I? Yeah. I'm sorry. I was just... Get some of that Albarino splash in your eye. Sweating. You're sweating here in the, in the podcast yeah. room. We even sweat in the air conditioning. Yeah. All right, babe, you ready for to get back into the case? Texas listeners, yeah. Are you non Texas listeners? Where are you from if you're not in Texas right now? Can we come visit? <laughs> it has to be as long as it's as long as cooler it's than cooler here. than I don't know, ninety five? Nine, above 95 is too much. 95 is a cold front right now. <laughs> I know. We're, Even we're the like, other day when it was 95, like, yes, you walked outside and it was 95. like, holy shit, did something happen outside? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's a 95. Jesus. All right. Let's get back into the case. So now the investigation, babe, is well underway. Waco PD wants this case solved. They have three teenagers brutally murdered and little to nothing to go on. Now, there were over 200 people interviewed that were either there that night, friends of the teens, but they really didn't have much that came out of the interviews. So three months had gone by, and they decide, you know what, it's time to go back, read over these interviews, read over these notes, and see if there's something we missed. And they found something. A teenager by the name of Lisa Cater, a 17-year-old who had lived at the Methodist home with Kenneth and Jill, she said during an interview with investigators, she pointed to a man named Manir Deeb. Okay? It's an interesting name. Well, he is a Jordanian immigrant. Yeah, I was thinking a little Arabic influence mm -hmm. there. And he was running something called the Rainbow Drive-In, I-N-N. So the first thing I thought it was a motel, but it was actually a convenience store. And this convenience store was directly across the street from the Methodist home. Okay? So these kids are going to school there, living there. There's a convenience store right across the street. Um, this man walked with a limp, and he went by the nickname Lucky. So you can imagine probably how often these people were probably in his store, right? They're right across the street. They're, they are teenagers. They I go hope, in. I hope you didn't get that nickname because of the limp, because that's not the name you would give somebody with a limp. Lucky. I don't know why he, I haven't, that might be in part two and part three, but yeah, okay. for right now, we're going to, we're going to go with, I, I'm calling him Deeb because, you know, Deeb I'm going with short. the last name. <laughs> what up, Deeb? Okay, so after looking into this claim, they did indeed find that there was... Okay, so here's what she says. She says that Munir Deeb did not like Kenneth. She said that there was... Um, it, like, Kenneth called him Abdul, like, making, you know... A, making fun of his Arabic. Like the John Smith of the Arabic world, Abdul. Yeah, yeah, Abdul, and just making fun of his limp. Like there were, they started sort of asking people um, that lived near the Methodist home that would go into this convenience store, people that knew Kenneth. So after looking into most of this, they found bad blood between Kenneth and Deep. And then they figure out, Chris, that this beef started over another girl. How old is Lucky? Lucky is in his mid-20s. And he owns a store? He owns a convenience store. He's rocking it. Well, it was foreclosing. Wow. 
shortly after this. So we'll, we'll talk about that. So this girl's name is Gail Kelly. Now, Gail Kelly had also been a student at the home. She was said to have been close friends with our victim, Kenneth, but she also knew one of the other victims, Jill Montgomery. Not only that, Chris, she had recently been hired by Deeb to work at the convenience store that he owned. All right? Mm-hmm. You following me on this um, one? I'm, I'm following you. <laughs> yes. So the reason... Um, Still got I, Taylor Swift in my head, but I'm following you. <laughs> the, the reason this Deeb guy who is in his mid-20s um, knows these kids is because Kenneth, Jill, and Gail all went to school right across the street from his convenience store, right? Like I mentioned earlier, he sees them. Detectives find Gail, Gail Kelly. They interview her and realize she is a striking resemblance to one of the victims, her friend, Jill Montgomery. This becomes important later. She tells them, people always ask the girls if they are related because they do look so much alike. Now, Chris, I mentioned Detective Simmons early on. He was just one of the investigators put on this case. We will talk more about him in part two since he played such a significant role um, in, in this case, solving this case. In fact, the book written about the Lake Waco murders called Careless Whispers It revolved around Simmons and all the work he did on this case, which he basically came out of law enforcement, out of his job, and took a job in the jail to find answers for this this crime. Mm -hmm. So we'll we'll talk about that in part two. Okay. Um, So... Just hours after talking to Gail Kelly. So two Simmons and another police officer are talking to Gail Kelly. They give the, you know, they give her their, her, their information. If you need anything or can think of anything else, please give us a call. Hours after speaking to them, she calls um, Simmons in the middle of the night. She calls him and says, he did it. She claims Deeb took her and her friend to the movies, and after the movie, he admitted to her that he had killed the trio. She said he then claimed he was joking, but she did not feel like this was a joke, so she made the phone call to police. So now you have him confessing to killing the three. In fact, they even said um, they found out that Deeb didn't like Kenneth so much that when he found out he was dead, he was like, good, I'm glad he's dead. Like there were several witnesses that came forward and said he was saying he was happy this guy was no longer around. So there was some ble- some bad blood there. Deeb is one person though with a limp. That's right. But you're talking about a guy in his mid 20s. He did some weird stuff. We're going to talk about this later, but he did some weird things um that had to do with Gail Kelly. Okay, so Police find out that Deeb is losing his convenience store and that he could be a flight risk. So now they have this confession. They have Gail Kelly saying he confessed to killing the girls. And so I think, Chris, they wanted they wanted to solve this, right? They wanted to get this guy in. Um, they're worrying about him fleeing back, fleeing back to Jordan um, and 
then they've got all kinds of problems if once he gets once he gets over to Jordan. So they act quick and they decided to arrest him and bring him in. He tells them, "Listen, I had nothing to do with these murders. I was only joking. Give me a polygraph." His family is saying, "Give us a polygraph. Give him a polygraph." Chris, he is questioned for 3 hours and he passes the polygraph. So Hard now to do. So now Simmons, the police officer investigator who basically wanted himself on this case and some of his fellow police officers, investigators were very upset that he acted so fast and rash to get this guy in. Now he passes a poly. So now what happens to their case? I mean, he felt gutted. He thought for sure this guy was either going to confess or they were going to catch him in some sort of deception and asking those questions. Three hours of questioning. Okay, so um, he passes the poly, but Chris, here's the kicker. Two weeks before the murders, Deeb had taken a life insurance policy out on Gail Kelly. Did you hear that? Gail Kelly, yeah. the girl who works I'm at his right store. You, I heard it. <laughs> the girl who works for his store. And I, and I could hear you in my headphones too. Listed himself as her common law husband. And the beneficiary of a $20,000 life insurance policy in the event of her death. I was doing a little research and I read that this was common for him to take life insurance policies out on his employees. I could not find any verification of him taking any out on anyone else. But first of all, why was it so easy to get life insurance taken out on other people in 1982? I mean, this seems very odd. Why would you take life insurance policies out on your convenience store employees? How much money do you think they were making an hour working at a convenience store in 1982? I mean, that's what I'm saying. This is crazy. If it is true, why does he need life insurance policies for convenience store workers? I don't know. Yeah. It's confusing. Question, question mark. All right. Because I mean, even if he murders them for the money, I mean, doesn't it some point that what it, the the risk seems far greater than the reward? Right. For twenty thousand dollars, I don't know, it's nineteen eighty two, but even so. So what is that money now? Like sixty, maybe eighty? I, I don't know. I don't know. We can Google. We'll okay, do, we'll, we'll Google. We'll do that. the Google. We'll Google that. But it's this is a lot, a lot. There was actually there was no proof of this relationship. She he was not her common law husband. I mean, that's scary that they were even that this guy could even do this in, in 1982. OK, but he takes a life insurance policy out on her. He has one out on her. So even though Deeb had paused, passed the polygraph, investigators started to theorize that even though he may not have committed the murders himself, but they did believe three other perpetrators along with Deeb were responsible for the Lake Waco murders Chris that already concludes part one you're leaving this hanging I'm totally leaving you hanging this is definitely probably going to be a part three three-parter I want this there's just so much to this case I, I really want to try to break it down into like here okay so now we know what we're dealing with right we have three teenagers 
whose cars were found at Cohen Park where they were supposed to be. They went to where they said they were going. The car is found. They are found at Spiegelville Park across the lake, which you could have either got there by car or by boat. I don't think they just walked on foot. There's nobody that came forward and said they saw the teens walking. And by the way, their police also said there were no tiger tracks found by Spiegelville Park gate, and it closes at 11. So they didn't see any tire tracks coming and going. Um, so again, not really knowing where they went and who they were with and why they ended up where they ended up. Now we know there's a little bit of bad blood between this guy. Um, there's a correlation. <laughs> You're still singing that song. Um, Jill Montgomery and Gail Kelly look very similar. All three go to this school. They hang out at this convenience store. Now, remember, Kenneth Franks lives in Waco. So I imagine he was still going into this convenience store, even though I don't think I think Dee probably knew Jill Montgomery. But I don't but I don't think well, I don't think he really knew the other two girls. So we're going to kind of talk about um, what police think. Um, and why they they do believe he had something um, he had something to do with this. I will say that he was um, he was eventually let go, and someone died for this crime. And they say, I mean, that's what's so crazy about this case. Like, if he would have been the ringleader and brought these others into this, and then he is you know, eventually exonerated and let out because there's nothing to charge him with. But then they ended up charging basically wait, three wait, wait, others wait, wait, with what? this crime. That's part two. I know it's part two. So, but um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're doing the recap, and know, you're getting. Then you're adding more. So no, I know. But um, but it, people have read about this case. I mean, it's not a secret. I so, um, but we will talk about the um, perpetrators. We'll talk about what Simmons did in order to um, solve this case, which goes along with the book that was written. But you have um, a very you have a scene where there's not a lot of blood found. No semen is found, but they were sexually assaulted. According to the autopsies, you have Kenneth Franks propped up against a tree with his sunglasses put back on. You're dealing with like some sadistic shit here. So why were the Texas Rangers never brought in on this? Um, I'm not saying they weren't. Oh. Um, we, we might we'll, talk we'll, about. We might talk about that later. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to jump ahead. I don't want to jump ahead. You are though. All right. Babe, that concludes part one. If you want to see pictures related to this case, you can find them on our Instagram and Facebook pages. This story gets stranger, honey. So we will roll um, with this in part two of next week. If you want to learn more about Edge of the Lake Vineyard, then um, go see them in Valley View, Texas, because their wine is amazing. We did a tasting out there in an afternoon, um, and it was Fabulous. So visit our friends at Edge of the Lake Vineyard right there in Valley View, Texas. All right, honey. This would go good with Tomatillo Bruschetta. Oh, you haven't put that on the show yet. You're, um, by the way, it's bruschetta. I was in an Italian restaurant one You're time. Right. A really the one who mispronounces most things on this show is <laughs> correcting me. Um, I'm just telling you, I was in a really bruschetta. I was telling you. I like bruschetta. Okay. It sounds better. I'm just saying I was in a or really bruschetta. nice Italian restaurant one day, and the chef came out and brought stuff to the table, and I said bruschetta, and he goes, no, bruschetta. Yeah. And, and I said, okay. I'm from Texas. I ain't no chicken <laughs> shit. And I'm going to say bruschetta. No chicken shit. 
All right, honey. Well, let's share organizations because we like to share organizations with our listeners that just inspire us to be givers and just better people in general. Today, I want to share Family Family Gateway. Uh, The mission of Family Gateway is to provide stability and life-changing supportive services to children and families affected by homelessness. Um, Believe it or not, homelessness is a big problem in this country. It's a big problem in Texas. There are kids. Problem at my hospital. There are kids, yeah, there are kids who go to school every day who are homeless, and I bet you their other peers don't even know that. It's a big like that problem. that we did for TJ, for the homeless kids. That's right. Uh, the generosity of the community helps provide emergency shelter. They offer supportive services for children experiencing homelessness and with their families. Um, they understand the devastating effects of homelessness and work diligently every day to provide stability and renewed hope for those in their care. So, Chris, some of the things they offer is emergency shelter for these families, supportive housing. They work on case management if maybe there is a domestic violence dispute um, in the case, you know, uh, that might go to court or trial. They help them through that. Education programs. They offer volunteer opportunities. Companies can get involved, which is how I came to learn about um, this organization, since the company I work for raises money for this foundation every year. So they do some wonderful things, babe. Um, Please, if you know someone struggling with homelessness and needs a resource for help, please turn them to Family Gateway. You can find more information on how you can get involved with them by visiting their website at familygateway.org. They do good stuff. Um, All right. Well, until next time, friends, stay safe. Have fun and cheers to next time. Cause you know we got that.